I think too many people think that they can do it alone. And that's what I said. The first thing I did when I was fundraising was ask for help from someone who knew how to fundraise. And I got in, I kind of got bounced around and introduced to a bunch of people. And all that advice is what landed me a really great fundraising process. So it's being open to building relationships, asking for advice, um, and just being really genuine about what you're doing and why. Hello, hello, hello. I am super excited because this is the final episode of season two of the Afternoon Tea Podcast. And we have an amazing guest, a fantastic guest. I guess that you all should know if you don't already, that is Kim Kaplan of Snack. Kim, before we start our little powwow here, let me just set this up, please. So Kim Kaplan is the CEO of Snack, a video dating app that combines the matching algorithms of dating apps with the ability to share your life in real time. Snack aims to disrupt the dating industry, being a video-first app that caters to Gen Z, or Z as we say, with over 10 years of experience in the dating app industry, Kim decided to venture into the space with her own app. Kim's expertise lies in product, marketing, and revenue optimization, having advised a number of startups in this area. Kim, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Chris. Oh, this is good. Honestly, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun because I've, I've, I've been listening to you. You're on a lot of podcasts. I mean, you're everywhere. You're everywhere. And, and, <laughs> Trying and to be. <laughs> but, but it's fantastic. It's, it's you know, I'm, as, as a Canadian, I'm very proud of the work you're doing because I think it's just another, you know, another, it's an industry that we've done really well in. You've had your DNA and part of that uh, throughout the whole journey. And I think, that, I think Snack, what you're doing is going to dominate even more for the next few years. So um, I'm Thank and you. the next chapters after that, I'm sure you're going to be part of the journey. So tell you what, why don't we just do this? Can you tell me the story behind Snack? Oh, wow. Uh, okay. So <laughs> I a bit of my backstory, uh, for those that don't know, is I was part of Plenty of Fish for 10 years. I was one of the early employees, joined very, very early on, and got to see the growth of that, went through the Match.com acquisition. I stuck around for three years post-acquisition and got a great opportunity to work across different organizations inside the Match Group, like Tinder and OkCupid, and really learn from them. And then I thought I was done with dating. I left and said, okay, that's it. I am so bearish of the space because of how hard it is. And dating is a very hard industry. Um, I was enjoying my life, advising startups, doing some angel investing. And then one day I came across this TikTok with this woman on TikTok. And she was pointing in these four different directions saying, what's your name? What's your age? What's your sign? Where are you from? And I realized that she was trying to use TikTok to date. And I kind of started going down that rabbit hole of like, well, how prevalent is dating on TikTok? And at that point in time, there's over 13 billion views of the hashtag single. Wow. And I, I ended up in dating TikTok land and all the content I kept seeing was dating related. And that's ultimately where the idea for Snack was born. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I mean, uh, lis listener, I'll say listener to the show, know that I love to say the tiki talk um, and, 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 and recognize, you know, it's such, um, it's a great medium and it's the mm -hmm. AI behind it. So when you say, when you say, you know, we're, 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 we're leaning on TikTok as the medium or the, um, the, 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 I guess the way that the people are consuming the content, um, are you focusing on, because I know the power of that is not just the content, but it's also on the AI algorithm. That's, mm -hmm. that's matching. Are you looking at it from both sides? Or are you just looking at it from the from kind of the packaging the the, the way that TikTok works? I think both of it. Uh, the video component to me, the really interesting pieces in dating, we there's been lots of companies that have tried to interject video into dating. But 
nobody really knew how to create great videos of themselves. Mm. And that fundamentally shifted when TikTok came out and said, here's how you create 30 and 40 second and 60 second videos of who you are in a fun and entertaining way. And that's why now is that right time for video dating. So we're taking the components of the ease of video creation and how do you create dating content very easily that is video orientated because um, mm -hmm. that definitely is a challenge. And then the way that you can express yourself in a video is so much more robust than what you can in a static image. So there's a lot more information you can pull from it, whether or not someone likes hiking or outdoors or they have pets or they're engaging in content that contains those types of things. We're then able to show you more people that are doing those similar things. So I think mm -hmm. you can express yourself more authentically as well as show up who you are in a more natural way through video. I recently was using the example of this like static image of someone holding a guitar mm -hmm. and say you're on Tinder and you rate them a five out of 10, but all of a sudden you get to see them play the guitar or sing mm. this amazing song. And you can't tell me that that person isn't going to be higher than a five out of 10 for you. And Wonderful. that ultimately is you get to show up who you are. And I think that's really special. I love that. I love that. I mean, the dynamic um, way to approach your own characteristics and your own style and your own flair. Well, you know, I'm I'm going to be totally like, I'm just going to put it on the table and say I'm guilty of this, okay? I've, I've followed what you've done with snack, but I have one rule in my life, and this is to the wonderful Mrs. Hobbs that keeps us very happy, <laughs> is I don't download dating apps. It's just, it's just you know, because over the years of making software, I've had lots of requests for that, and I always tell them, great, Tinder, I'm sure it works great. I'll look at it on someone else's <laughs> phone. I don't want it on my phone. So I haven't seen snack personally okay like um on my own account for good reasons but say i was on it would i be doing just like one video or is it like a constant thread of videos like a typical social media play where i, I i'd be constantly showing the new stuff i'm doing and and use that as the medium for my dating life it's a constant thread of videos i think that's okay. the big shift we made as well is if you mm -hmm. think about dating profiles and how they exist today you might not know this but uh, the way that they <laughs> kind of exist is you upload your five images of yourself, you write your paragraph, and you never touch it again. It's kind of the static version of who you are, where that's not social anymore. Social is you're constantly updating your profile or your friends with what you're up to, who you're with, what's going on in your life, and why wouldn't you do that for dating as well? Mm. And that provides an opportunity for someone to also start a conversation with you because they see that new content that's coming up, and they're like, oh, that's such a cute dog. What type of dog is it? versus those five images where they might not have had something to say about that. So it is more that natural social evolution versus <laughs> the way dating's existed for the last number of decades. I love that. And and also, I assume it keeps a lot of the static content out, or I should call it stagnant content, you know, where I show a picture of me when I was 21 with a little bit more hair and maybe a thicker mustache. Um, well, you know, it other, keeps that that's away, the other I assume. Thing <laughs> with videos is videos <laughs> like this didn't exist five years <laughs> ago, even. Nope. So nope. the content you're seeing is relevant, it's real, mm -hmm. and it's recent. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I get it. And, you know, I watch, I watch my kids. Uh, they're 13 and 14. I had to think about that. That's sad. But 13, 14. And I watch them on the, um, um, the Snapchat and just how fast and how much they engage with video. And, and it's just, it's not even a thought anymore. In fact, they have, what, 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 what do they call it? The, the streaks, where they have to do it daily. And, you know, if I get upset with them, they get upset at me, you know, because I take away their phone. They get upset with me because it's like, can't do my streaks, you know, it's, it's almost addictive. But the fact that they consume this video so quickly, I can see how it would be so addictive to be part of it on the dating scene. When you're, when you're doing it for more than just a, a passive, I'm just consuming to a, hey, I've got a mission, you know, I got to find, I got to find love. This is a great avenue for that. That and like your kids are a great example and they're too young for snack. 
but they are a great example of a generation yeah. that is growing up with just as many videos on their phone as what the older generations have images. So mm-hmm, when you mm-hmm. think about how that kind of barrier to entry for us to say, oh, like to create a video is really challenging. It's not for that demographic. That demographic Completely. has hundreds of them on their phone and they just very easily upload them and create their profile with them. And, and they don't care about the, the editing. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be done in a way that, that has their sort of joie de vivre in it, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I love no, that. I... I love that authenticity about this generation. Mm-hmm. Like I joke that Instagram's kind of like that Kim Kardashian selfie era. And mm-hmm. TikTok is way more authentic and real and people are way more self-deprecating and humorous. And it's so nice to see that kind of come out versus this staged version of who you want everyone to perceive you to be that has mm-hmm. been social mm-hmm. media for so long. Oh, completely. You know, it's funny. I was listening to a podcast recently and one of the founders of TikTok was actually talking about it. And he said one thing that was just so smart, like so basic. He goes, why does TikTok TikTok work is what they asked. And his answer was because human nature goes against education. People want to be entertained. And it's just like, boom. (laughs) You couldn't have come up with a better answer for why this is such an addictive medium. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, he, he, compa- he compressed it. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming English is a second language for him too. I, I assume I didn't know that much about the fellow, but it's like, you get it, man. You know, people don't want to be educated. They want to be entertained. And mm. so instead of thinking, oh, how can I improve it for, you know, the way that mom wants, go the opposite direction, you know, go understand the user, understand the user. So, well, you know what, let's, we're talking about the future. And I, and I, I you know, I know you're on the path, you know, in, in an amazing way, just from the other, the other mediums I'm witnessing, but why don't we go a little bit into the, into the, into the past, a little, little bit back. Marcus, I mean, he's a, he's, you know, a, a legend in Vancouver. How, yes. did you, how did the two of you meet? A drunk over a bottle of wine. As as most as most you <laughs> as know great, it, every great really it, it, it relationship so much, starts. <laughs> it makes it makes so much sense, especially around around the dating. Well, I mean, what, what was it was it was it a, a job request or was it like how how did how did that come no, from? No, we um, just happened to meet through mutual friends or a mutual mm-hmm. connection, and I honestly had too much to drink that night, and I don't remember our conversation. <laughs> but I got a call the next day asking if I wanted a job. And mm-hmm. at this point in time, Plenty of Fish, I had no idea what Plenty of Fish was. It wasn't really that well known. Um, and I was kind of hesitant. It was 2008. We'd just gone through kind of the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of hesitation around switching jobs because you didn't know, like, what's this crazy startup that has no employees, doesn't have an office really yet, and mm-hmm. I've never heard of it. For whatever reason, I decided to take the leap um, and join Plenty of Fish and had such a phenomenal experience. And getting to work closely with Marcus for seven years, sitting next to him, learning from him, really, Mm -hmm. he's a big part of what set me up to be successful. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure you're going to set up the next person, you know, that, that you take drunk under your wing to be successful too. And I know that's going to happen as well. But wait, I'm a little well, older know. now, so I don't think uh, I do my job interviews quite the same way. I, I dig that. Well, I, guess, I mean, I think what Marcus owns the wineries and everything now I've been reading yes, about, yeah. so maybe he can hand that on to you and then hands on there. But, but anyhow, I, 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 I digress. So um, before that, were, were you ever working in the tech industry? No, no, that really was my first foray into it. I had worked for an advertising agency. I'd worked for an oil company. I was working at a brokerage firm when I actually met Marcus. So I definitely um, didn't have the technical chops or Mm -hmm. any of that. And that's why I really say Marcus is a big, he gave me the leeway and the opportunity to learn. 
And he always said, like, I said yes to everything. It didn't matter what he threw at me. I would say yes to it and I'd figure it out. And so he knew that he could just trust me to get things done. And I would learn it and I would work my way around it or I'd ask the right questions or find the people to get the answers. Mm -hmm. And that's, it was in that moment of time, 10 years ago, 12 years ago now, uh, (laughs) you were able to do that with tech. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the same as now where there's a lot of people with experience and knowledge and you kind of need that to get your foot in the door. So I really relished that opportunity I was given. Well, what was, I mean, for those who are trying to change careers and, you know, tech is an awesome opportunity. What was the first thing that you went through? Like when you said, okay, I'm going from brokerage or, or energy or whatever. And now, now I'm in tech. What was the thing that you said, you know, this, I need to, I need to know. What's the first thing that you had to, to learn? Was it like how servers work or was it just, you know, social media or was there something that you said, I need to know this first? Not in the moment, but I think the thing that gave me the, biggest amount of power or um, opportunity was learning SQL and Mm. being able to dig into the database myself and understand what was happening. And that provided me the tools to ask the right questions, Mm. to be able to pull the data myself and really understand how things were being done. And to this very day, I still do it. I go into the database, I write my own queries. And that I would say is the superpower that allowed me to excel more than I probably would have otherwise. And it's, it's just, it's interesting when you can kind of look under the hood and really understand what's going on, how things are being done, mm-hmm. that you can just frame your questions differently. You have a different understanding of how the product's working. So that's hands down my biggest piece of advice to give to someone is understand the underlying infrastructure and actually see the data in a database. I think that is honestly some of the best advice. I mean, I, I, I'm always surprised and, and, well, not surprised. I should say I'm, I always tell people, you know, SQL, for example, or even Python. I mean, they're not that hard to learn, but once you underlearn it, you understand the basic, basic kind of building blocks. And so you can be a little bit more understanding. But also what I love, the fact that you took SQL and or learned SQL is you don't have to rely on other people to get the data that you're most interested in, right? So you can dig deeper as long as you're not doing any, you know, you don't want to write to the database, but you know, no. as long as you're reading <laughs> from me, the I database. Don't have right <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> even if I don't have right access, I wouldn't want it. <laughs> I dig that. I dig that. I think that's, I mean, because I mean, everything in dating, I assume, is analytics driven. Would, would that be fair to say? Parts of it, yes. Yeah. Um, but I do think that part of learning and understanding the database is you also understand what's available to you. If you've never actually looked at it and understand, okay, what fields are there? You mm-hmm. don't know what op- opportunities you have. Mm-hmm. Well, Here's a question actually about, about, about dating applications then, because I know when we were looking at like, hey, it's the Uber of this or something like that. I always tell people, well, don't focus on, it's a supply and demand problem. Like it's always supply and demand, but focus on one over the other because one drives the other. Um, that, that's, my, that's my thoughts, but I want to hear it. Is there a similar thought in the dating that you want to think of? Okay, we want to focus on supply first, because if you have enough people, demand will come out of that. Or, or do you just try to build the infrastructure? Is there, is there ever a way of looking at a dating app like that? Um, I think, I mean, it really is getting people on the app that are interested in meeting someone. And <laughs> on this first, in the beginning stages, when you've got your first 10 people or 100 people, absolutely, it's difficult. Because what's the chances that they're going to find out of one out of 100 <laughs> happens to be the person that they're interested in. And when you take gender preferences into consideration, those numbers drop even more. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not necessarily supply demand. I think it's, um, there's location plays a role. Um, there's natural churn in dating. We had our first success couple six weeks in. That was something that I was absolutely shocked by. But if you're doing a good job, 
people should be leaving your app and ending mm. up in happy relationships. So like the supply just constantly needs to be coming in order for you to have a successful app. That's an amazing thought. It's 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 like the opposite of a drug dealer in concept. Like you're basically saying, "Hey, I'm going to give you the tools that you need to set you free." You know, it's Absolutely. it's it's hey, you want love? Let's find love. And I hope we our tool is good enough. You don't need us again. That's, and that's it because they then become your biggest champions. If they say, "I met my partner on Snack," they tell their friends. They have weddings. They go out there and they say, "Oh, I'm going on a Snack date." And mm-hmm. it's one of those things that you can't get better marketing than that. So really, mm. if you focus on how do we get people off the app, going on dates, meeting their person, that is where your word of mouth comes from. Oh, for sure. And, and the name, Snack. I mean, it's, it's small, <laughs> biteable, you know, a little bit kissy. I, um, I love it. Where, how did you come up with that? It actually, I went to a group of Gen Zs that I was using or that was helping me kind of come up with ideas for the app. And I said, okay, what would you call a dating app targeting Gen Z? And they immediately came back with the name Snack. And they actually mm. spelled it S-N-A-C-C. And I had no idea what it meant. I had to Google it. And to this mm-hmm. day, when I talk to people, half the people know what snack means and half the people don't. And it's a oh. very much generational thing. Put me on the app that doesn't then. Okay, I'm happy to, <laughs> I'm happy to admit it. Um, is, is it something repeatable on, 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 yeah. on air here? Oh, no, it's like, oh, he's a snack or she's a snack. Like, they're good looking. Oh, okay. So this and is, that's, yeah, that it's just sense. a term that, that and then once you get it, you're like, I'm surprised I haven't heard that, you know, in the air as I walk around all the time that he's a snack for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, no, instead, I just hear my son yell that let's go or whatever it is the kids are yelling these days, too. Probably Um, a good thing you're not hearing it from your kids yet. mm. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, now that you're well, aware well, of it, you might. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you know what? If I could, if if I'm aware of that one word, I'm fine. It's the other stuff I'm scary <laughs> about. So they're scared of. So, um, well, so have you ever done? So you've done you've startups. You've done um, or this is this is your first true startup uh, that you've founded yourself, or have you done it before as well? I did one within the Plenty of Fish kind of ecosystem with Marcus. Um, okay, like entrepreneurial sort for, of way. Yeah, that lasted mm-hmm. for about one or two years, and then mm-hmm. I rolled back up into the fold under plenty of fish. So I've built something, torn it down again. Um, but this is my first, first time fundraising and first wow. time really kind of starting from scratch um, out on my own. Fantastic. And I know you've been doing really well in the fundraising. Um, yes. We've, we discussed, and that's, and that's, I mean, that's, you know, that's always one of the, for a lot of young founders or start, starting up um, new founders, that's one of those things that it's, it's, they don't really get that game. Like it's, 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 you know, I want a million dollars. Well, why? Because I want a million dollars in my pocket. It's not your money. You know, like that, that sort of a thing. What was, how, what approach did you take to the first step of, of, of getting investment? What, what was, what was the first step you did besides, I mean, you had the idea, you had the business plan. What's the first thing that you did um, in order to, to get investment? I, the first thing I did was got advice on how to fundraise. Mm-hmm. Um, hands down. I went and talked to a few people said, okay, how do you even run a process? How do you do this? What does it look like in San Francisco? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never done it before. So it was seeking that advice that I think was the game changer for me. And it's interesting. I, I spent more time, most people focus on the pitch and they say, okay, if I get my deck right and I practice my pitch, I'll be able to raise capital. And the feedback I got was actually focusing on the process. And Mm. how do you prepare yourself? How do you find who are the right people you need to be talking to? Who are the right funds? Who are the right partners at those funds? Who are Mm. the right associates? And who can make those connections for you? Mm-hmm. And so you I, spent, too. I spent about a month um, 
putting that all together and saying, okay, who out of all my mutual connections on LinkedIn is the one I know the best, reaching out to them, asking how well they knew that person, if they feel comfortable making the introduction and lining it all up so that um, I was able to hit the ground running all at the same time and mm-hmm. doing all my pitches. And it actually ended up being about a three week process. So Which from, is the time super I started, <laughs> from the time I started pitching to getting my first term sheet was three weeks. And That's amazing. I really, really fundamentally believe that it was the process that resulted in that, as well as the idea and my background. And there's a lot of compounding factors there. Oh, yeah. But the process was a big piece of it. Mm-hmm. And it was all done during COVID. So it was all done over Zoom, uh, which I actually think in some ways was a bit of a benefit. Mm-hmm. You're not racing in the valley between areas and offices. You're not having to juggle um, getting an Uber and responding to your emails. You need to kind of I always joke, I'm like, I brought people into my own den. I didn't have to walk into a VC's office and feel intimidated mm-hmm. or nervous. I sat on my couch in my living room and I got to kind of control a bit of the narrative. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other thing I did is I actually never went through my pitch deck. Mm-hmm. I sent it off in advance. The way I viewed it was you only have so much real estate and screen space that you want to have that one-on-one conversation with someone. You don't want them staring at the deck and not building a rapport or relationship with you. So you can talk to the deck and you should know it well enough that you can just speak to it, but that that shouldn't be the thing that you're having your investors look at. I think I I had a, and (laughs) the last piece of advice I'd give is I viewed it as when else are you going to get these amazingly smart people with such different backgrounds thinking about your product and your problem in you for 30 minutes or an hour. Mm. And how, if you approach it like that, it's okay. So how do I, what can I take away from it? Or what help can you give me? Or what advice would you give me? So that it's not mm-hmm. just about pitching and getting money. It's how do I take the input of all these people that even if it is a no, you got something valuable out of it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think that approach was extremely valuable for the amount of introductions I got, the people I spoke to that I never thought I'd ever talk to. Um, and it wasn't just for investments. It was for advice, product experience, um, you name it. It came out mm-hmm. of those pitches. Fantastic. And would, would it be fair to say that was you were oversubscribed? Uh, you, oh, yeah. There were people that you said no to because because <laughs> I mean, definitely, yeah. I, I'd put I'd, I honestly can't. I put my money down, uh, which 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 says a lot. And, and and you know what? It comes down to you know our conversation I had with Maria from Pender Ventures. Um, you invest in an idea, but you really invest in the people. And mm-hmm. it's the people that can get it done because, you know, even if the idea is kind of half cooked, but they know there's something there, they can, they can sell, like, you know, you yeah. can, you can sell it. And if you have the right channels and the right people behind you or, you know, or, you know, people that are going to get behind you, um, you know, and, and I think that's a rare, a rare wave that you can bring and, 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 and it's, it's a superpower. And I don't want, you know, the young Canadian or young entrepreneurial listeners here to think I can do it in three weeks because that's rare. That is a triple is slam extreme. dunk. You have to realize that I'm a founder who's mm-hmm. done it before. I'm going back into the space that I know so intimately well. Yep. And I have a hypothesis and riding a wave of video first that everyone else is believing in right now as well. So it is that triple threat. And Mm -hmm. so no, fundraising isn't that easy. And it it does take a lot of work. But definitely think about the process you're running and get some advice on that before just running out there and start pitching VCs. Because Mm -hmm. there is a a, a bit of a formula to it. Mm. Now, speaking of formulas, you were, you were, you, I believe you're part of the CDL, right? The Creative Structure Labs. 
how was like that's a really common experience with with a lot of the uh, the people I'm talking to, and it says a lot about the excellence of of mm-hmm. you know the projects going through. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience with the CDL? I have loved Creative Instruction Labs. I think it is the structure that they put into the program is that every eight weeks you have a meet, like you start your first meeting, and then you get to meet all the ventures, and then you put your hand up to provide mentorship hours towards those ventures. So you get to pick the couple of ventures that you're excited about and that you want to help the founders out on. And you set objectives. And over the next eight weeks, you're meant to help them hit those objectives. And then you have another meeting and you can decide to either stick with those ones, pick new people, not mentor anyone. But again, you're set another set of objectives. So it's very clear as a mentor what you're supposed to be helping these companies do. Mm. And I think that's the brilliance behind CDL is... I know when I can help certain ventures in certain areas and I know when I can't in other areas. So mm-hmm. say someone's going to now, originally in my first year there, I had no idea about fundraising. So I never would have put my hand up to help a venture when that was one of their objectives. But mm-hmm. now that I have this experience, I'll absolutely put my hand up and say, yep, you know what? I will help you this session because I've just been through this. I know what I can, well, I know how, how I can help you. Um, would, but the people sitting around the table are phenomenal. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. I think that's where a lot of the value comes from is, there's such a breadth of experience too. So you get to see really cool and interesting companies that have such different backgrounds that like you're looking at like someone doing um, a vegan egg protein. We're like, I never would have seen that or contact lenses that um, can recharge, like the battery can recharge with your tears. Like there's such amazing ideas and products that are coming out of this that I never would have gotten exposure to. Uh, and, it, and it's such a uniquely Canadian idea, I think, you know, where it comes, well, you know, because VC wasn't really, you know, our strong point, I would say, but really the relationships between government, between university, between, you know, the privates, and, and that's where I see, you know, the successes, and in the keen, great minds of people like yourself who want to make a difference, who want to create impact, you know, maybe not just for you know, your own pocketbook, but also because you think, hey, there's great, there's, this is a great journey, there's a great adventure that's, you know, to just be part of that. Um, no, would you and that's, ever... that's why I say that mm-hmm. people sitting around the table are phenomenal because they're all extremely smart, mm-hmm. driven, had successes, but they all want to give their time back and Completely. help this next generation of startups be successful. Completely. And, and it's nice, you know, if you are an angel investor or anything too, it's also a nice funnel of seeing what's going through and what other oh, people yeah. are thinking about too, which is fantastic. Would, would you have ever considered or is, or, or is Snack kind of already kind of moving along faster for having Snack part of the CDL? You know, I didn't consider it. And I think part of it is because I feel like it would be a bit of a conflict of interest um, that I know all the mentors so well now. That, <laughs> and I think we're also moving a little bit faster than yeah. what CDLs, and I've been through it before. So had I been a first-time founder, I absolutely would have gone through CDL. Um, and had I not already had those relationships with the mentors, I would have already gone through, I would have gone through CDL, but kind of hard to be a mentor and put your hand I up and say, it. help me too. It's a bit different. I dig it. I dig it. I, I, I dig feel it. like I could reach out to most of the mentors anyways and ask for help regardless. So completely, completely. And they, I'm sure, and I'm sure they'd be, be happy to do it. But the other thing I love about the model is that it's a lot crueler than people think. Like it really is, you know, sink or swim. You, do, you can get voted <laughs> off the island. Absolutely. Very quickly, <laughs> very quickly. And I, I've loved over the years hearing people's stories of how they got, or, you know, just like, Oh, Oh, I'm gone. <laughs> like I thought yeah. I was going forever. Like, Oh, Hey, and still be, you know, really successful companies, but it just, you know, it just sets, it sets you up nicely. Okay. Well, you know what, the theme of, of afternoon tea is all about trying to, you know, learn from great Canadian entrepreneurs like yourself in order to prep that next generation of, of founders. So 
please, do you have any one piece of advice that you would give to, to a startup founder? Just one piece of gold that you've learned um, that you can share with our, with our, with our listeners. Um, for me, it's always been about relationships mm -hmm. and forming really strong bonds with people. Um, and not taking any of those relationships for granted and offering something in return. Um, like I always try to give back and I always try to help other companies and other startups, even while doing snack. And even while I don't necessarily think I have the time, I find it. Um, because to me, those relationships and helping other people is really important. Mm -hmm. And what I'm finding is that having genuinely done that for the last 12, 15 years, it's starting to come back and pay back in like a number of different ways that I never would have expected. Um, so I think just having genuine, a genuineness to what you're trying to do and also asking for help when you need it. I think too many people think that they can do it alone. And that's what I said. The first thing I did when I was fundraising was ask for help from someone who knew how to fundraise. That's and awesome. I got in, I kind of got bounced around and introduced to a bunch of people. And all that advice is what landed me a really great fundraising process. So it's, being open to building relationships, asking for advice, um, and just being really genuine about what you're doing and why. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, 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 that, and that's awesome. Cause you know what, at the end of the day, if we're all in the water and our boats all float together, we're all doing better. You exactly. Know? Startups are hard. They're hard. <sighs> They're very and hard. Cruel. <laughs> being a founder is hard. But the other thing that I would say is you only go through this stage once. Like I remember plenty of fish, my favorite, some of my favorite moments when we were such a small company that everyone knew each other so well. We were all friends. We all got along, hung out after work mm -hmm. and we're now a snack where it's 15 people. And I'm like, we're mm -hmm. not going to go down. So cherish these moments because we're going to continue to increase in size. We're going to continue to have other challenges mm -hmm. and other mm -hmm. opportunities, but the wins we get today, we won't get that again. And the people we work with today, you don't get that again. So just Completely. take those moments and take it in and be like, this is such an amazing experience. You know, what, what, what you touched on is reminds me of the, uh, the early days, the excitement of TTT. And I remember one fellow from Seattle who was giving us a little mentorship. And he said, this is the most exciting time because now you get to define culture. Now, mm. do you find that you're defining culture or the culture is already kind of defining itself with the group of people that you have? Um, I mean, I will say we actually had our first leadership team get together in person yesterday, nice. Nice. Um, which was amazing to be able to see each other in 3D versus 2D. Yeah. Um, and we're having our first all team get together in a couple of weeks. So Wonderful. I think part of it is having a team during COVID that there are some culture, cultural things that, yes, we've set them. But mm -hmm. once we start being able to see each other in person and having an office, I think that'll really define and change a little bit too. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I have a very much have a work hard, play hard attitude. Good. And I make sure that the team knows that like, we don't have set vacation. It's take the time you need, especially during COVID, like do what you need to do for you. But mm -hmm. also, if you say you're going to deliver something by a certain time and date, then I would like to see it delivered. You can come to me and tell me why you aren't going to hit that deadline. Mm -hmm. um, and that's fine too. But there are certain things and other people have rely, other people rely on you to get things done when you say yep. you're going to get them done. So I want you to be held accountable for that, but at the same time, have that flexibility and openness around take the time you need. I love that. Anyone listening, there is leadership right there. Like that's really what you need to do. You need to understand the project needs to move forward, but you also have to understand the people behind the project. You mm -hmm. know, they, they, they have lives as well. And, uh, 
you're, you're just complimenting, you know, that their journey uh, and you're doing it together. But I, I really like that. So, so it's, it's one, one question I always like to ask. And um, I had a poll yesterday to kind of reflect on that I put on LinkedIn. I was shocked how many people answered it actually was, you know, name a Canadian entrepreneur that you would love, like an like a entrepreneurial legend. Um, you know, maybe that's Marcus, maybe that's whoever, but that you would love to have on your team. Um, can you, yeah, that's, it's a tough one. Who, who, who would that be entrepreneurial legend be? Um, do you think? Well, there's a couple that come to mind right now, um, mainly because I saw your poll and I saw Ryan Reynolds on it. Of course. Um, and the reason I say that, cause he's actually on the match.com board and Is he's he? been helping okay. yeah, and he's been helping them with their ads recently and they're doing phenomenal. Their the ads ones. are all, oh, and then the most recent one was about like, how all the wedding singers are banding together saying, please get back in love. Like, please fall find someone. We haven't had work for the last year and a half. <laughs> so I think like he's got a really, really smart marketing chops. Um, and so Completely. I would love to pick his brain and say, okay, what would you do for snacks? I'm sure yeah. there'd be a plethora of ideas, but I think he probably has it on Pete. So that won't work. Um, <laughs> who else? Um, I'd say he'd be my number one at the moment, mm-hmm. just because of how relevant it is. Well, you know, what's funny, when I came up with that list, I wanted to make it inclusive, and I wanted to make it real. And there's so many, I mean, and I say that in a way that, my gosh, there's so many great oh, yeah. Canadian entrepreneurial engines. But the, 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 the beautiful thing is it only allowed me to put four in LinkedIn. And that was a savior, because I actually had <laughs> people that probably didn't like, I mean, of course, you know, Musk and the Rosk. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Rosk. I mean, the Rock. He's Canadian, too. Oh, like, really? Yeah. I had his, no his idea. Dad's, his dad's from Nova Scotia. So huh. and he played in the CFL. Yeah, on a, on a Canadian thing. So who wouldn't want to have those people in your poll too? But if I had The Rock and Musk in it, it seems like it's People Magazine poll instead of a real <laughs> poll that I'm trying to do, right? But I mean, but at the end of the day, I would die to have any of those in my back pocket of, you know, people helping Absolutely. helping us out as a company. So so anyhow, you know what, Ryan Reynolds it is. And I know that he just sold us his maximum effort company, I believe today, I which is his marketing firm. So I that know. guy's just rolling into good things. And the thing that I love about him as well, and, and, and this is such a Vancouver story of, you know, how his roots are still tied into it, is no matter how much money he makes, and the guy's going to be the golden boy of money, he sure seems to give back and he sure seems yeah. to know. Like if you follow his social media, he's mm-hmm. talking about the, the awful things that are happening around the indigenous schools. And he's making sure that people are aware of those. And his yeah. roots are, are deep and deep and strong. And so he might be down in the valley, but he's going to do such great things, yeah. uh, both in terms of business and in terms of social benefits that, that honestly, I, I just get excited to, 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 and thankful that we won the lottery that he was born here. That's, I know. That's pretty you know, that's much a great it. way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. I just wish he was on snacks board, not matches. Uh, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe through an acquisition <laughs> later, but we'll leave, we'll leave that was, one alone. I was joking. I'm like, I should go get Hugh Jackman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you do that, I hope that idea came right here right now, because that would be genius. <laughs> I've thought about it before. <laughs> okay, oh, I, can, I can try. I can try. Let me let me go phone up Hugh. You know, I'll, I'll call him for you. Please tell, do. Tell yeah. Yeah. Sure. Hey, you want to start this rivalry again with with Ryan? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's hey, Kim. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. You know, this was what 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 fun. What a great way to send out season two of, of who've been some. Honestly, we've had some amazing guests, and honestly, this this was. This is like the 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 the, the cherry on top of the Sunday uh, sort of oh, uh, fun you, time I had. So thank you for for you know you've got a very busy schedule. Thanks for for just spending a little time with us here today. Of course, and thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Excited to close out the series. Boom, and it was well worth it.
Ahoy, Afternoon Tea listeners. If you got this far, I assume you liked this episode, and that is awesome. Thank you. In such a case, please rate and review Afternoon Tea Podcast and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your feeds from. Afternoon Tea is a podcast with a goal to share the stories of Canada's successful tech entrepreneurs in order to prepare the next wave of founders. We do have some great guests lined up for future episodes, but we would love to hear your thoughts too. Please do let us know who you think should be on the show. You can do so by emailing me at podcast at ttt.studio. That is P-O-D-C-A-S-T at T-T-T, that is three T's dot studio. You will notice there is no dot com because we are that sophisticated. Furthermore, you can find us at social media at T-T-T underscore studios. I look forward to chatting with you soon.